some words from Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. Colossians and Ephesians in many ways are very similar letters with some overlap between them. And in some ways this reading parallels our call to worship, but it's sufficiently different uh, to warrant it being read in, our, in its own right. <coughs> Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what's so special about the name Jesus? Not a lot, really, actually, if the truth be told. It was a fairly common name. Josephus, the Jewish historian, lists by my reckoning seven different high priests who were called Jesus. Would have been eight, but one of the hopeful candidates was murdered by his brother before he was appointed to office. There was a general by the name of Jesus, the leader of a band of robbers who had that name, and a prophet who predicted the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem during its final days. In Britain, you don't get many people choosing Jesus as a name for baby boys, though it's quite common in, in South America. Joshua, that's a common enough name now. And actually, Joshua is just the Hebrew version of the Greek name Jesus. There they are one and the same. Jesus uh, would have been addressed by people speaking Aramaic as, as Yeshua. So the name is actually far more common than, than might be supposed. The, the name means God saves. And it clearly was a common name for God-fearing parents to give their sons. Joshua was a bit of a hero in the Old Testament, after all. Uh, fighting and the battles leading the people into the Promised Land. There was another Joshua who was high priest. There was another Joshua who, who was governor of the city of Jerusalem at one point. There was another Joshua who was listed among the ancestors of Jesus. So Jesus, Joshua, fairly common name. If you, if you Google images of Joshua, Anthony Joshua comes up a clear favourite, because he is a bit in the limelight at the moment. 
But you see a fair few other Joshuas represented there, though not, alas, Josh Mukherjee. Brilliant though he is, he's not yet attained that status to be the first picture to come up on Facebook and, and, and uh, Google. One day, Josh, we live in hope, one day. You Google images of Jesus, pretty much this is the kind of picture you get. Uh, man about 30, with a beard, dressed in recognisably ancient clothing. You see the picture and you think, that's Jesus. Seen hundreds of pictures of that, like that Jesus. And even though no one knows what Jesus actually looked like, we think, oh, that's Jesus. Beard, 30s, dark hair, <coughs> ancient clothes, that's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth has pretty much monopolised the name in terms of coming up uh, with his own identity in terms of searches for pictures in Google. Now we know that this Jesus was crucified under the Romans. But again, there's nothing special about that. Hundreds, if not thousands, were crucified under the Romans. It was a common enough fate. Josephus talks on one occasion about 800 Jews being crucified, 2,000 on another, more than could be counted on another, And during the final siege of Jerusalem, as people tried to escape the city, the Romans crucified all of those that they caught, and that was up to 500 every day. And they ran out of wood to make the crosses. So I suspect that there were quite a few people called Joshua, crucified under the Romans over the years. So what's so special about this one? What's so special about him that in fact the Apostle Paul can say that at the name of Jesus... This very common name, at this name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What Paul says in Philippians 2 is quite hard to unpick. This Jesus was in very nature God, in the very form of God. How does that work? In what sense was Jesus God? In what sense was it here as a human being? How do you hold those two together? I think, you know, we, we thought at the beginning of the service, 10 years ago, what were you doing? And if you were under 10, you would say, I wasn't here. I, I didn't exist at that point in time. And yet, yet Paul talks about Jesus as if he did exist before he was born. Though he was in the very form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being born in human likeness. Jesus, this Jesus, chose to be born. He chose to enter our world as a human being. He had some kind of existence before his birth. And Paul says it's a big step down from heaven to earth. But Jesus went even lower than that. We think of him being born, laid in a a manger, in a stable, in poverty and humility, but going even lower than that, dying the most shameful of all deaths, that of being crucified on the cross. That's why, Paul says, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he gave it all up, because he laid it all down, because he voluntarily went to the lowest place, 
Paul says God has lifted him to the highest place and given him the highest name. Jesus is Lord. In Isaiah 45, God says, I am God. There is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. I'm God. No competition, no rivals, nobody else. Every knee will bow before me. Every knee will, every tongue will swear to me. And yet, in Philippians, Paul says, God says, that of Jesus. To him, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The mystery that this one God suddenly has this Jesus with whom he shares his name, with whom he shares his identity. And Lord it is the, the name by which God is known in the Old Testament. The Jews would never say the name of God because it's far too holy. But when they translated it into Greek, they used the, the, the word for Lord. Lord was the standard way of referring to God. To say Jesus is Lord, in a sense, is to say that Jesus is God. It's the divine title. And it's because Jesus is Lord, because Jesus is in some sense God, that every knee will bow to him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And it was trying to decipher and make sense of difficult passages like this that led the church inexorably towards understanding the one God in Trinitarian terms, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And that's a mystery that's hard to get our heads round. But think of an atom. It's called an atom because it was the smallest thing that anybody knew at the time. And it couldn't be divided. You couldn't get smaller than an atom. It means unbreakable. It means undividable. And yet we know that atoms have neutrons and protons and electrons in them. The smallest thing actually is made up of three different parts. And you go even smaller than that these days in quantum physics, but that defies, except Josh of course, that defies the, the, uh, the understanding of most of us here. But it's the Son of God who becomes incarnate, who humbles himself in the man Christ Jesus, crucified on a cross, raised from dead, and exalted to the highest place. That's why we bow the knee. That's why we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His is the greatest name on earth. And theologians who've pondered over this passage tells us it gives us an insight into how God works all the time. Not just Jesus humbling himself and dying on the cross and God lifting him up, but actually... Father, Son and Holy Spirit all the time are abasing and humbling themselves and lifting each other up. That's why I love this picture of the Trinity by, by the artist Rubio. All of them inclining their heads towards the other in submission, in attentiveness. None of them saying, well, I, I'm in charge and you are down there. All of them voluntarily submitting themselves to one another. 
Jesus humbles himself by dying on the cross. The Father exalts him by raising him from the dead and lifting him to the highest place. But in the eternal interaction between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, they are always acting in humility to serve each other and to lift each other up. That is the very nature of God. That is what God is like. It's in the nature of God to serve. It's in the nature of God to lift us up. That's why it says again and again in Scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because when we are proud or we allow our own insecurities to get the better of us and we start to put others down as a way of making ourselves feel better about ourselves, that is the antithesis of the nature of God in whose image we are made. God, the Lord of all, humbles himself to lift others up. That's how the Trinity works. That's how he treats us. That's how he calls us to treat each other. That's why Jesus pointed to those who exercise authority in the world by lording it over the others and said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not how it is to be among you. True greatness is expressed in serving one another. That's why he said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what God is like. Always has been from eternity, always will be. And we, for our part, are called to speak and live out our lives and pray in the name of Jesus. Everything we do, we do in his name. I became a Christian in a church where where certain people talk quite a lot about taking authority in the name of Jesus or having power in the name of Jesus. And it was very much focused on their taking charge of a situation. I looked up. To what extent is the name of Jesus linked with taking the power or having authority? Actually, it isn't. It isn't. If we speak or act or pray in the name of Jesus, we speak as Jesus speaks. We act as Jesus acts. We pray as Jesus prays. We act in his name as his representatives, the way he would act or speak or pray. The way that characterises God. And that means that we serve and lift up those around us. That's why, of course... If we pray in Jesus' name, God doesn't simply give us whatever we want. That kind of, oh yes, in Jesus' name I claim this. No, sorry, that's not, that's not what it's about. That's not how it works. Because in Jesus' name you are lifting others up, not yourself. That's why God has not given you that Mercedes-Benz yet, I'm afraid, some of you. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray in the same way that Jesus prayed to his Father. We pray in the Spirit of Jesus and if we, if we do that, then our focus will not be on getting what I want, magnifying myself, but in lifting up those around us. Jesus' name is powerful, of course. Words uttered in Jesus' name can be remarkably effective. That when Peter and John addressed the crippled man by the temple, who'd been there for decades, told him in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he did. 
He went into the temple walking and leaping and, and praising God. And in the aftermath of that event, when people were trying to figure out what on earth had happened, Peter makes it plain. It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with John. It was the name of Jesus. It was faith in the name of Jesus, which healed this man, which made him strong, which has lifted him to his feet. And it's on the back of that declaration that Peter and John declare, listen, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus healed this man. The name of Jesus has the power to heal and save you. To redeem your life. To turn it around. To lift you up. To sort you out. To bring you out of darkness into light. To rescue you from death and bring you into life. We come back to the meaning of the name of Jesus which means simply God saves. In Jesus God saves us. God saves us from death. God saves us from the negative thought processes which dominate our minds. The things which destroy our self-esteem. God rescues and saves us from destructive patterns of behaviour which wreck our own lives and the lives of those we love. God saves. Jesus humbled himself to save us. And when we speak and act in his name, we seek to serve those around us and lift them up. And enable them to find the deliverance and salvation which only he can bring. He humbled himself to save us. And as those who have been saved by him, our our response is to exalt his name in worship and praise and adoration. And to serve those around us and seek to lift them up as well. And when we do that, when we live that way, we show that we are made in the image of God who created us in love. So Jesus is Lord. He takes the highest place because he went to the lowest place for us. And for our part, we lift his name on high and we serve others in his name. And if everybody lived like that, the world would be a far better place. So in 2020, make your worship a lifestyle choice. So that everything you do, you do in the name of Jesus. Lifting him high. Serving those around you and lifting them up as well. And saying, in my life, Jesus is Lord. I commit myself, I commit this coming year to him.